0: Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week.
1: We often get referred to as as the Mushroom Guys um, and we've embraced that even trademarking the word mushroom uh, from any of our products that are consumer facing
0: Yes, we're going to hear from Eben Bayer, founder of Ecovative Design, the Mushroom Guys. Intrigued? Well, stay tuned to find out more. Yes, welcome back. This is episode six of The Better Business Show. Much appreciated your tuning in, thank you. Thanks for being there, thanks for coming back to us. And yeah, it's lovely to hear from so many of you each and every week telling me about your businesses uh, or just saying hello uh, and thanks for your messages and, and for sharing news about each show. Um, we're building up quite a following which is fantastic and it's great that so many of you are really enjoying what we're doing, so thanks. Um, If you haven't done already, please subscribe via iTunes uh, and you won't miss an episode. We're going to hit your iTunes account every Monday morning. Um, We're also on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher and Deezer and TuneIn. So plenty of ways that you can find us uh, and enjoy the show. Of course, you can also listen to us via the website, uh, betterbusiness.show. So do that if you so wish. Now, uh, many of you have asked the question um, and got in touch to see if we might be able to offer you a bit of a, a weekly digest of news every week. I think there's lots of lots of you have said, you know, your inboxes get full up throughout the working day and you never really get to uh, to, to really read everything and take everything on board during your busy working day. So it'd be great to have a kind of a, a segment of the show that you can kind of catch up on what's going on out there. So we're going to be try well we're going to try and do that for you really and i've enlisted the help of somebody who has uh, very much her finger on the pulse of what's happening out there looking at startups and innovators and entrepreneurs but also looking at big businesses that are trying to create positive environmental and social change in the world Her name is Vicky Knowles. She is based in Bristol and she's a writer and a contributor to to a number of websites and magazines including The Guardian and Time Out and Collectively.org. And she can now add The Better Business Show's roving reporter to her resume. Let's find out what Vicky has found out for us this week. (laughs)
2: So, on my Twitch travels, I stumbled across a few cool stories that I thought might be of interest to your listeners. The first story is about Asda, the British supermarket giant, which is, of course, a subsidiary of the US parent Walmart. I announced earlier this month the trial of a £3.50 wonky veg box containing a whopping 5kg of lovely, albeit slightly misshapen, seasonal veg. Now, I don't know how many of your UK listeners caught Chef Hugh Friendly Whittingstall's War on Waste that aired on TV late last year, but it really shed a light on the amount of food, particularly the likes of perishable vegetables, that goes to waste due to ridiculously high cosmetic standards in supermarkets. The programme focused a lot on one particular supermarket, but it's clear that this behaviour if you like is rife throughout the industry and it's shocking when you see this huge pile of parsnips to be thrown away because they are slightly wonky or not quite the right size I mean I think you'd agree Tom that this move from Asda is a win-win-win the supermarket and its suppliers are now able to get some dosh for perfectly edible food that would have otherwise been thrown away and it's no longer wasting those resources time and money into growing them So hopefully it could make some headway to reducing the issue of food waste at large, especially by setting an example for other supermarkets that suggest this sort of scheme is popular with consumers. Not only that, but the box is a really accessible price for those who perhaps didn't think they could afford healthy food. And it is indeed cheaper than regular veg. So it could help improve nutrition of families in the UK. Who knows? At the moment, the box is available to buy in only 128 stores around the country. I don't think you can get it online yet. I have tried. (laughs) I did wonder if this might be a bit awkward for companies whose sole business is distributing veg boxes like Riverford or Abel & Cole as they're being severely undercut in price. But I think these firms are accessing a different market for people who are concerned about organic and locally sourced produce. So all in all, as soon as I run out of edge, I'm going to dash to the one participating Bristol store that has the box and I'm going to buy it. I think you should too, Tom. The next story is that toy maker Mattel has reinvented Barbie. She is now available in Petite, Tall and Curvy and has a number of skin colours and eye colours to choose from and even varying face shapes. Now Mattel have been really under fire for Barbie's aesthetics for some time and the criticism has been focused a lot around a narrow and also unrealistic standard of beauty. So if Barbie's proportions were translated into a woman walking down the street, she'd be seven foot tall with an 18 inch waist. Um, Even if you were a six foot woman and say a size six to eight, you'd represent a very narrow proportion of the population. Since Barbie's slogan is you can be anything, If she is only blonde, blue-eyed and tall, anyone who falls outside of this aesthetic is going to feel like this message doesn't really apply to them. But I think Mattel have really turned this criticism into an opportunity because they haven't just said, okay, here's one curvy doll with a different skin colour, are you happy? They've actually reinvented the range. Really, it seems embracing at least a broader spectrum of beauty and body shapes, including seven different skin tones, 24 hairstyles, and the curvy, petite and tall shapes. And let's be honest, this is really good news for girls' self-esteem, but it's also good for business. I'm assuming that the new Barbie will appeal to a wider market, so there could be increased sales on the horizon, maybe those who have criticised the doll in the past will applaud Mattel's efforts and buy back into Barbie, and it could also fight off competition from smaller toy makers on the sideline who are already making dolls that more realistically depict normal women's bodies. Oh, and I hasten to add, Tom, that Ken has also been reinvented. He now comes in petite, dad bod, and hipster can. I'm definitely looking forward to the latter. Finally, uh, is a report that's recently come out called 2016 predictions for the luxury industry, sustainability and innovation which I caught wind of via a Harvard Business Review article. Basically, the report finds that for industries like jewellery, premium drinks and cars, more sustainable ways of doing business are becoming increasingly paramount. For a start, investors are demanding more sustainable business models. Millennials are seeking workplaces that align with their values. And the affluent among the same group is using their buying power to vote if you will, for firms that have decent environmental and social credentials. Also, with the passing of the Modern Slavery Act in 2015, creating a positive impact is going to soon not be for the do-gooders or even those leading the charge, but will be a legal obligation. And as the Harvard Business Review reports that 71% of UK retailers and suppliers think it's likely that there are slaves in their supply chain, it could be pretty uncomfortable for a fair few. So, for listeners out there, I'd love to know what you think of this new segment of the Better Business Show. And if there's anything going on that you think I should talk about, perhaps it's even something you're working on, you can catch me on Twitter at underscore Vicky Knowles. That's at underscore V I K K I K N O W L E S. Thanks, Tom, and back to you. This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk
0: Thanks very much, Vicky, and we will check in again with Vicky next week. Now, we've got a five-year-old at home. Uh, his name's Dudley. Big shout out to Dudley. He's a, a very keen listener of the Better Business Show. Um, but the thing you notice when you've got kids, and I think you know the situation is probably a lot worse when he was younger, perhaps of sort of toddler age, but the thing you notice is the amount of waste and the amount of packaging that comes with toys and uh, consumable goods that they buy and it's not something I really thought about before we had Dudley but around you know his birthday or Christmas it always strikes me just how much material whether it's plastic packaging or that kind of horrible styrofoam uh, that's used to package goods particularly kids toys and it's something we all come across especially with you know the proliferation of deliveries and goods being shipped around now that we all use the internet to buy things Most of it can be recycled, so you think about Amazon cardboard packaging, not necessarily a big problem. But packaging materials are a big deal and all that stuff has to be produced somewhere and somehow. And it's big business. A report published last week says that the demand for protective packaging in America, so the stuff that is is wrapped or stuffed around our products, is set to grow by almost 5% a year to create a 6.8 billion dollar industry by 2019 and that's largely thanks to internet shopping it's you know a necessity but it's clearly something that needs to be tackled but it's not straightforward we talked a bit about the circular economy uh, during episode three of the better business show when we had Renotto from dutch awareness with us and this subject of the circular economy where unlike our existing linear economy where companies make things and then consumers kind of use them and throw them away, uh, circularity means that we keep resources in use for as long as possible, extracting the maximum value from them while they're being used and then recovering and regenerating products and materials at the end of their usable life. And it's a subject that comes up again this time around. And there's been a fair amount of contention and debate about the concept of applying circular economy principles uh, to, to packaging and I think the fashion right now, particularly in the kind of the fast-moving consumer goods uh, sector, is for a reduction of packaging, uh, which is a good thing you know it's about lightweighting the packaging, making it as thin as possible the trouble is. It's, it's fantastic in terms of efficiency, it's, it's saving companies lots of money, but it's not necessarily the answer because if you continue to make packaging as thin as possible, it's, it gets harder and harder to recycle, making it not circular at all. There's an interesting report that's just been released by the guys at Use Less Stuff Uh, the ULS report. Uh, I'll put the link in in the show notes uh, as usual. But this report says that larger product packaging sizes are significantly more efficient than their smaller counterparts, regardless of material type. Uh, So lots of different debates going on in in the kind of packaging space. and, you know, and, and commentators and, and critiques have kind of called on big companies to really look at alternative materials rather than just reducing packaging size. You probably heard the news last week. The body shop wants to become the world's most sustainable business uh, and, and launched a whole range of, of different pledges and commitments. One of those uh, was a specific target on packaging. It wants to reduce the use of oil-based plastic packaging by 70% by 2020. And it's, you know, part of its plan, we'll see it work with a number of kind of partners in the academic space, in the technology space, in the research space. And it wants to try and pioneer some new product packaging solutions. Um, And to kick things off, it's announced a partnership with uh, New Light Technologies, which is a California-based company uh, that has something called Air Carbon. And the body shop is going to be using Air Carbon which is a kind of thermoplastic material that behaves the same as plastics, um, but rather than using oil as a carbon source for it, uh, the innovation kind of uses methane and, and and carbon dioxide. So so that's great news. They're going to be using air carbon, which is fantastic. But the packaging uh, debate is a, is a bit of a minefield. But the subject of this week's show is a business that proves there is a better way, an environmentally sound way to create alternative to to plastic or styrofoam packaging materials uh, and it's also creating a viable alternative to formaldehyde materials in uh, that are used in construction and so you're about to meet a fantastic company they're called ecovative design they're born out of a university project by the founders Eben Bayer and gavin mcintyre Um, And the company has been slowly transforming the packaging and building materials sectors with its biomaterials and, most notably, mushroom materials. So I caught up with with Eben Bayer, one of the co-founders, on Skype to find out more. Eben, welcome. Thank you for joining us on The the Better Business Show. Um, You guys have been around for a bit now, and and I guess those among our listeners that are familiar with uh, Ecovative and, and what you guys have been up to, you're now no doubt be known as the Mushroom Guys, and, and that's certainly how I was first introduced to to you and, and what you do, making packaging out of mushrooms. But can you briefly explain what it is you're doing? And, and you know, you're doing a brilliant job at finding a, an alternative to plastics and foams, uh, but, but what is it that you're, you're up to? Um, sure.
1: So, yeah, we, we often get referred to as, as the Mushroom Guys, um, and we, we've embraced that even trademarking the word mushroom uh, for many of our products that are consumer-facing. Um, In short, uh, we use biology to produce better products uh, for a variety of industries like protective packaging um, or the wood industry where generally chemical resins uh, like plastics or urea formaldehyde have been used in the past. Um, And while these tend to have great physical properties, they often have um, detritus health effects uh, on the people around them and also on our planet. So in short, we're trying to use biology to produce better materials for people and planet.
0: Okay, so, so how does it work? What do you what do? You do? Uh,
1: so we culture uh, what you would think of as the roots of mushrooms, uh, which is referred to as mycelium. Um, and this is like a type of yeast, uh, kind of like when you'd make bread, you mix yeast in with the flour, uh, and it helps the bread rise. Uh, but unlike most yeast, mycelium is filamentous. So that means it actually grows these tiny little fibers like miniature roots uh, that extrude out through the substrate. Uh, And instead of flour in our process, uh, we use agricultural residues like corn stalks. So these are low value products, uh, not a lot of uses, can't be fed to humans or animals. Um, So essentially, we combine these corn stalks with our mycelium fiber and we grow them all together. And the mycelium grows around the corn fiber and transforms it into this white polymer like material, uh, which performs a lot like a plastic.
0: Okay. And, and presumably you've had to do quite a bit of work in, in setting up the infrastructure to, to, to grab your, your raw materials to, to produce this, this new material, have you?
1: Um, yeah, everything for us has been uh, b- about building new supply chains. Uh, in our area, even, we couldn't buy corn stalks. We had to go out into the field and talk to the farmers to see if they'd sell them to us. Um, you know, most folks are focused on ways to turn sugar and fermenters into plastics. So this is a whole other way of producing really high-quality biocomposites, uh, without ever going into say a, a liquid fermenter like you'd find in a ethanol plant.
0: Okay. And just how much testing have you had to do to ensure that the you know that that, that this kind of comes together and has the right consistency to to act like a, a more traditional product? Well, there's so many levels
1: of testing. I mean if, if you just start on the product end, uh, our most recent introduction is a product we call Mycoboard, which uses mycelium instead of urea formaldehyde as the binder of wood particles. Um, and first for board materials, this is used in furniture like tabletops or structural applications you test the physical properties um, how, how strong is it in bending, how strong is it in compression, what's its density uh, but then you have to look at other dimensions so in this market um, home furnishings, you know, formaldehyde emissions are a big deal so we sent these parts out for emissions testing and they came back with essentially uh, no VOC emissions which is the gold standard in this industry mm. uh, whereas our packaging product uh, which is a much lower weight lower-density material. Uh, you know, we mostly test for impact absorption. Uh, how does it perform when you drop a box from 36 inches eight times on every side? So the tests really vary on the product application side.
0: Right, right. And, and so all manufacturing is, is done where you are, just outside New York? or
1: Yes, we have, we have two sites uh, in upstate New York. Uh, one is focused as our pilot plan and also produces all the raw material which we use in our various lines, uh, both the molding lines and the compression lines. Uh, it also produces the raw material, the dehydrated material we sell on our website, if folks want to try this at home. Uh, those are our DIY kits. Uh, and then we have a sister plant across the Hudson River uh, in Troy, New York, where our larger engineered wood presses run, as well as our packaging molding line.
0: Okay. And, I, you know, obviously numerous applications for the mushroom material. Um, what's the ultimate intention here? What's the ambition? Is it, you know, to wipe out entire supply chains of, of plastics and foams? Uh,
1: that's certainly uh, an ambition of ours. Um, I would say phase one of our, our work is building a world-leading biomaterials platform um, and really going after products uh, like urea formaldehyde and expanded polystyrene uh, that are either toxic to people's health in the houses they're in, uh, or really bad for the planet's environment, and leveraging biology to produce materials that perform and cost competitively, but don't have these really uh, negative environmental or health consequences.
0: So, um, are, you, are you are you referencing the kind of the impacts in the use phase, or or in the kind of production side of things? Uh,
1: you have to look at the whole picture. You have to look at production. You have to look at use, and you have to look at disposal. Um, yeah. And so uh... for our microboard products uh... you know the the biggest benefit is really in use most uh... particle board today releases urea formaldehyde into your home or business which is which is generally not good uh... so our boards don't don't release any of that if you look up upstream the feedstock for our resin production can be the same wood chips they put into the board um, wood chips are plentiful and extremely inexpensive so you've got a both an environmental and a cost savings upstream and then there's a disposal story Michael boards compostable, but really most people don't compost their furniture. They they expect it to last for years and years. And so, you know, we've we've designed this board and this process to produce long lasting materials.
0: Sure, sure. And I, I have you been able to kind of quantify the impacts, whether environmentally or socially, that that you guys have had on on the planet.
1: Uh you know, we look at that in a couple ways. Um I think the single biggest uh factor for us is how much product do we produce and ship since we believe uh, in essence, every pound of our material that's produced is displacing a pound of um, less desirable plastic or chemical resin. Um, and to give you a sense, last year we produced over a million pounds of uh, mushroom-related materials.
0: Wow, okay. And so even where did this idea come from? Was this something that kind of you know, germinated away in a laboratory somewhere during your studies or something? Is that, is that where it all came from?
1: Well, it's been a long journey, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> The inspiration actually came when I was much younger. I grew up farming in Vermont uh, on a very small uh, maple syrup and dairy farm and meat farm uh, in central Vermont, and I used to shovel wood chips um, into our gasifier that ran the farm. Uh, And I would see, you know, sometimes these wood chip piles would sit for a year and they'd they'd form these mycelial masses, and I would see them like holding wood chips together on the shovel. And so that went back into the brain. And I went to college and uh, studied there with Gavin, our co-founder, and. Did a whole variety of projects, and this was one uh, when I was looking for a better binder for insulation that, that popped back into my head.
0: Right, wow. And so, as a youngster growing up on that farm, were you? Do you have an affinity with the environment? Does your, your interest in this area hark back to those days in on the farmstead in in Vermont? Uh,
1: absolutely, I, I love nature, I love I love farming, and I love that sort of the, that lifestyle, which is a real mix of um, you know tenacity and grit. Uh, But also entrepreneurship and engineering and being in touch with nature and being in touch with the seasons. It's a really it's a great balance. Uh, And I think uh, some of the principles there can still be applied to our industrial economy um, as it relates to people living kind of harmoniously on this planet.
0: Yeah. 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 And go back to the business. I mean, I first came across you in I think it was probably 2011 uh, when I was in conversations with the computer company Dell, who I know you sort of struck up a deal with then to to make uh, use of, well, for them to make use of your of your product to package its laptops and so on. But uh, how did that deal came come about? Uh, so they
1: uh, Dell is very forward looking. So their sustainability folks um, actually reached out to us, someone in their packaging group, okay. uh, which is run by Oliver Campbell, who's a very um, I would say visionary leader in this space and they reached out just as we were really commercializing the product you know somewhere between making these things in the lab and on a pilot line Um, and we you know they were one of our crucial launch partners and we're still very happily producing uh, lots of microfoam for them uh, this year and into next year.
0: And so is that that partnership kind of increased in, in value for you guys?
1: Uh, it has. Uh, they've been a good customer. We started shipping uh, very small quantities when we did that announcement uh, on their server line, and we've continued to expand uh, out uh, along their server lines, doing most of their heavy heavy equipment right. uh, that's made in North America.
0: Okay, and obviously, you know, striking up a deal with a, a company like Dell would would help matters, but. Has it been a kind of a hard sell? Is there still a job to do to convince buyers that well particularly for materials like plyboard or or fiberboard used in construction, that 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 mushroom materials will, you know, A stand up to the job and and, and B won't create problems in the future. You still find that you're you're having to do a, a hard sell in convincing?
1: Um, I would say ultimately it depends on the customer's perspective. Uh you know, every mm. sale is, is won or lost on price and performance. And then the third dimension we tend to bring to these customers uh, is either a sustainability value in the form of packaging, which is around disposability, yeah. um, or for interior furniture applications, something that's really green and healthy. Uh, and I would say uh, between the two product lines, um, folks are more responsive on Michael Board because mm-hmm. people tend to care more about human health than the environment, if I'm perfectly frank. Right. Um, whereas in packaging, uh, even though folks really love the product offering and typically we get into that price performance value proposition space no one really buys a product for packaging so that inherently is a is a is a harder sale and it takes usually bigger companies like Dell that have some vision uh, to really move the needle
0: right right and and you mentioned earlier your your DIY I love this idea of allowing customers to kind of try out the process of of creating their own mushroom materials um What was your thinking behind that, you know, behind allowing customers to get their hands on on this?
1: Well, it's really about addressing attention. Um, You know, we've created an entirely new field of material science and biotechnology, right, which is at the intersection of mycelium and material science. Um, And we've patented that heavily. Uh, We've patented in the U.S., we've patented in almost every country in Europe. And we need to do that because a key part of our scaling strategy is to license this technology to others. Um, With that said, we really didn't like that it was preventing or perceived to be preventing um, independent inventors, designers, students, and other folks from doing this. Because we want to have a rich ecosystem of uh, mycelium-related products created. Um, So this G.I.Y. kit is a way to kind of walk down the middle of that and provide folks with our same raw material from our factory, Mm -hmm. same stuff we use in our molding lines. It's been dehydrated, so you can ship it through the mail, and... We have designers creating all sorts of wonderful products that we would never even consider doing, uh, like the mushroom, which is a really nice high-end lampshade.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. And so do you think any of those ideas might well come back to you to then kind of commercialize in some way?
1: We sure hope so. Uh, The kind of thought with the GIY kit is if it's a small niche market um, and a designer or an inventor wants to do something, they can just buy the raw material and they can go to town and do it. Um, If they reach a certain level of scale, where they need, you know, mass production, um, we're happy to mass product, produce it and either co-brand it or let them brand it themselves.
0: Sure, sure. And it's it's interesting when you you mention the fact that you know the the, the process is heavily patented, because uh, I remember at the time when when you announced the partnership with with Dell, and I remember thinking, well, why isn't Dell just doing this themselves?
1: Well, that's exactly right. You have to be very careful about that.
0: Hmm. Sure. Uh, and is that because it's it's just a it's a complex process? Um
1: the reason we were able to patent it is because it's, it's truly novel and you know the risk in industry and this is um, what's happened now in the plastics industry is that most of these things aren't are patented and so you know, folks will go not to the inventor but maybe the lowest cost producer which is a, is a natural trend for any industry and should happen in this industry too um, but to reach initial scale folks have to make real investments and having patent protection helps your investors know uh, you've got a better chance of fully recouping and returning their capital
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so what's next for you guys? Is it more applications for the mycelium or, or are there other kind of biomaterials on your radar? What, what's, what's next?
1: Well, uh, there's two kind of themes. Uh, on the platform side, you know, I mentioned uh, we basically use bio- biology as it exists, this natural organism to produce, you know, better materials uh, with a sustainability dimension. Um, as we're going forward now, we've been at this for about seven years. We've built up great plants and infrastructure and products Um, We're starting to layer in some synthetic biology, Um, so actually breeding and engineering these organisms to have new properties. Um, And as it relates to our product uh, portfolio, we're really focused on the architecture and design community. Um, If you think of chemicals, it's all about eliminating urea formaldehyde, which is a real carcinogenic chemical. And if you think about products, it's furniture, it's beautiful chair backs, uh, it's insulation for buildings, it's acoustical tiles, uh, and those sorts of more durable items.
0: Sure, and so and so, what's the what's the sort of strategy? Is it about finding a problem that needs solving, or is it about finding really cool solutions and then kind of you know finding ways that well problems that it might deal with?
1: Oh, it, it's absolutely about solving a problem. I mean, we're in the we're making microboard today because our packaging customers um, four or five years ago when they were buying packaging as furniture companies like Steelcase started asking us if we could come up with a replacement for particle board or medium density fiberboard. They saw it as a really big issue, and we kept saying, we're not sure, we're not as dense, but they kept asking us. And that's why we originally started studying this market, realized there was a tremendous chemical issue here, a tremendous economic opportunity to use biology to make the resin instead of chemistry, um, and a great product opportunity because customers want to have a healthy product. So we're definitely solving a problem, there, and and we always try to go into industries where we we bring a real value in terms of uh, solving a pain point.
0: Great. I, I love it. I love what you're doing with it, Eben. How can our listeners find out more about Ecovative?
1: Uh, you could follow us on Twitter at Ecovative. Uh, check out our website, EcovativeDesign.com. And if you're so inclined, uh, pick up a DIY kit and see what you can grow.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you. Thank you for telling us all about your business. I love that, you know, such natural processes uh, c- can be applied to kind of traditionally completely unnatural processes of, of packaging up and, and, and developing new products and services. So it's, it's brilliant. Love what you're doing, Eben. Uh, good luck with it and, and thanks for taking the time to be a part of the Better Business Show.
1: Uh, thanks so much, Dan.
0: Eben Beyer there, CEO and co-founder of Ecovative. So if you fancy having a go at creating your own mushroom materials or Your business wants to know more about switching to the ultimate in green packaging, just head over to EcovativeDesign.com. As ever, we have show notes online accompanying this podcast uh, where you'll find some pics of Eben and the team at Ecovative. Um, Just go to BetterBusiness.show. We're very keen to know of other great organisations out there that are really shaking things up and creating positive change in the world. So if there's an organisation you've come across that deserves to be featured here on the show, please let us know. Just send me an email, tomidle at uk. Maybe it's your business you want to feature, so please just do get in touch. In the meantime... As I said earlier, you can find us on iTunes, so please, you you can subscribe there. Uh, We're also available on SoundCloud and Stitcher and Deezer and a whole bunch of other places, so please find us. And if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your family. Encourage them to subscribe also. Um, You can follow me on Twitter, at Tom where you'll find updates on the show throughout the week. Uh, But once again, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again next Monday. So until then, goodbye.